Welcome to Hold Up, the podcast where we watch our favorite rom-coms and decide whether they hold up. I'm Carrie Gilbert. I am Allison Gilbert. And this week we watched As Good As It Gets, which stars, it came out in 1997 and it stars Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, and Greg Kinnear. Or as Jeff fondly referred to it, late stage Jack Nicholson. <laughs> I was like. Literally looked close to death. I was, I was like, why don't you want to watch this movie with me? And he was like, late stage Jack Nicholson? No, thank you. And I, he's not wrong. I literally, I was like, I, like, halfway through watching this movie, I was like, this is sad. Because, like, Jack Nicholson, if the, he was this old 24 years ago, he has to be dead by now. And I forgot. I, like, missed that. So I wonder when he died that I missed it. And I looked it up. That motherfucker is still going. Yeah. He's not really working anymore. His IMDb, I looked at it. He hasn't really made anything since 2010. No, I hope he's like happy in retirement. But yeah. Yeah. Living his best life. Well, this movie also stars, we'll get into this. This movie stars, in quotes, Cuba Gooding Jr., fresh off an Oscar win. So how much do we hate black people in movies? Fresh off his Oscar win, he is a motherfucking plot device. <laughs> a stereotype and a plot device. Wait, did we even start the podcast? Yeah. Are we yeah, supposed we to did. like say? Are we supposed to say our predictions? I've forgotten the oh, format to sure. the podcast we've been doing for two years. Right, right. I didn't think it would hold up. I didn't think. I did think I would like it more than I did. Yeah, I didn't expect it to hold up so poorly. I mean, this is like sixteen candles all over again. I will say this about it: better than sixteen candles. Yeah, but that's a low because bar. Because because it's a very point. low bar. Because I think he's meant to be all the awful things that he is, and it's supposed to be, like, a redemption story, I think it's better. I don't care for this redemption story. I don't right. care to see a old white man who is, in the first five minutes of the movie, racist, homophobic, anti-Semitic, ableist, fatphobic, sexist, and says a number of slurs, including mm-hmm. ones we won't say. I don't, I, in the year of our Lord, 2021, do not care to watch this person's redemption story but i will give the movie the credit 16 candles does not have and that they recognize all of those things as bad whereas 16 candles is like how funny is this rape you know what i like yes he's not supposed to be a good person right but you are supposed to feel compassion for him by the end and want him to fall in love with this woman who is 24 years his junior also a remarkably good person yeah and I was like, I, I don't. I don't no. want those things. I no, actually, no, no. like, I was more okay. We're, like, way jumping ahead of ourselves. But I was more okay with the redemption in the Jack Nicholson-Greg Kinnear relationship than I was in the Jack Nicholson-Helen Hunt relationship. That's because it's more, it makes more sense and it's more flushed out. Yes. Because they Fair. give Because this movie gives more credence to its male characters. Greg, like... He does more things to make amends with Greg Kinnear. The good things he does for Helen Hunt, he does is in a self-serving and manipulative way. So the plot of this movie is Jack Nicholson is a man we've just mentioned, a bad person who lives across the hall from Greg Kinnear, who is a gay artist. And he uh, and he is obsessive compulsive. And Jack Nicholson some, is obsessive. Jack compulsive. Nicholson is obsessive compulsive and probably has some other mental health. I watched it with mom. I was like, there's another personality disorder going on here. Yeah. Like, I was like that or they just didn't know how to write obsessive compulsive. But sure. Um, or he's just an asshole. Like mom was I was talking to mom yesterday and she was trying to diagnose him. And I was like, yeah, but 
you couldn't just be a bigot and an asshole with and right. like being mentally ill or like having poor mental health does not mean that you're a bigot or an, and an asshole. Right. Or he could have a personality disorder and also be a bigot and an asshole. Like right, yeah. Those- having a personality disorder doesn't mean that you're necessarily those things too. Correct. Um. So anyway, he has this favorite waitress, Helen Hunt, at this diner he goes to. Um, and she has a sickly child. He has, like, asthma and a poor immune system. And basically, she, like, has to quit work and find she's going to find a job. She lives in Brooklyn because it's 97, so Brooklyn is where poor people live. Um, and she's got to find a waitressing job closer to where she lives so she can take care of her kid. And he hires a concierge doctor, a lovely cameo by Harold Ramis, best part of the movie, um, to be her son's, like, primary doctor so that she'll come back to work. So it's this, like, generous thing he does, but it's so she'll serve him. And, like, on one level, like, it's tied to his mental illness because, like, part of his his OCD is that, like, he needs things to be consistent or, like, you know, it's an anxiety. Like, you need things to be consistent or, like, all hell breaks loose. Right. But then it becomes, like, a romantic thing. It's very unclear, like, where we sort of cross that line. Um, I don't know. It just has some, like, kind of icky under, under, yeah, it didn't need the romance. I, like, this can be about three kind of broken people, albeit Greg Kinnear and Helen Hunt in a much more redeemable way. Like, helping each other and yes. without, like, a romantic aspect. There was something about it that felt, like, kind of old, like, old-fashioned rom-com. Like, this movie may have made more sense like in the 50s or 60s like there's aspects of it that reminded me of the apartment which is a movie i really like and that and a very good movie but it but and the romance in that one makes sense but this one just sort of felt like felt a little shoehorned yeah like oh is this is a movie so we have to like tack in a romance when it's like no i i believe i'll just watch this movie about three sort of messy people Two of them who are very good-hearted and one of them who isn't. And how, like, the good-hearted people change this man for the better. And, like, we get a relationship between Greg Kinnear and Helen Hunt that is platonic because he's, because he's a gay man. And so there's no chance of romance in their relationship. And I was more interested in that. And I was more interested in the relationship between Greg Kinnear and Jack Nicholson. Like, I was more interested in the platonic relationships than I was in the romantic relationship. And I think you're right that a lot of it has to do with the fact that that relationship's not particularly well fleshed out. It doesn't feel very natural. It kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. Um, It's not necessary. But also, like, you introduce us to this woman who is a working parent with a sick kid who you have a great deal of compassion for. And she also is like funny and witty and kind of she's got an edge. Like she's just, she's an interesting character. And then you want me to watch her fall in love with this guy who's kind of been an asshole the whole movie and a bigot. And I'm supposed to be okay with that. Like, I'm far more comfortable with them having, you know, a relationship or a friendship. But, like, can we stop perpetuating this, like, myth or this – it's not even a myth, but, like, this 
trope of like women, good women fixing abusive men and falling in love with abusive men. Like, and it happens. Obviously, it happens. But like, that's not what this story is about. This story is not about like this woman in a relationship with an abusive man and like what that means for her life. This is a movie about a woman fixing an abusive man Mm -hmm. and wanting to be with this man despite knowing all of his abusive tendencies and that he like so at the beginning of the movie i was like i get what we're doing we're laying out how bad this guy is and it's 97 so we're allowed to make him very very bad like in like in 20 by 2021 standards if this movie was remade now he would not start off this cruel but it's 97 so we'll give it that i get that this movie is now going to try and do i do his redemptive arc. I want to see the accountability for these actions. And does he become a better person? Yes. Does he ever say, I'm sorry? Or does he ever sort of confront his racism, homophobia, fat phobia, sexism, ableism, etc.? No. And also, like, that's a lot of things you cram into one character. Right. And I think it's this, like, 97 idea of, like, comics who are mean to everyone. It's fine because he's doing it to everyone. You know that, like... It's like that excuse of a comic who says something racist or something. And you're like, but they're mean to everyone. They don't they don't like discriminate against the people they talk shit about. And you're like, OK, but it's still like bad comedy. Like that's still not a good way. It's still right. punching down just because you're punching down on more people doesn't make it like right. does it make you wise. <laughs> like Right. Um, yeah, so I don't know that we ever got the sort of accountability that at the beginning of the movie I was like, all right, if we're going to do this, I want to see. I want to. This is like a, this is the movie that shows us cancel culture isn't real, right? Well, but also like I mean the whole thing, and I'm just harping, but like the whole thing is like how she makes him a better man, and he tells her that, and he has these really like you make I mean, me want to be a better man. Like all of the flaws of this movie aside, like these three actors are, you know experts at their craft like jack nicholson is playing a romantic lead in 1997 when he's in his i don't know what 70s he was 60 that man that man looks aged like i i mean i do think he lived like that lifestyle in the six in the 70s oh sure you know like if if we lived in the 70s we'd have done a lot of drugs too yeah i'm just saying so like he looks older than 60 in this movie but okay He's 60. Um, she's 34, excuse me, and they're 26 years apart. Yeah, the age difference didn't bother me. Like, I don't have a huge problem with a 60-year-old and a 34-year-old. Neither do I. But I, I'm not super convinced of their chemistry. Right. This if this movie. was a believable romance, she's 36 years old. She is an adult with agency. Right. She can decide to date whatever other adults with agency she wants to date. Like... Right. I, like age differences, I think people get like caught up in age differences and it's like after 21, I like and I don't care. Yeah, I the my issue with this romance really was not the age difference so much as the characters. Right. And again, like I believed the friendship between these two. I but like when in the beginning when like sh- they're learning about each other's lives and like he is coming in every day and won't let anyone else wait on him. Like, all of that I was far more invested in than their romance. Well, and you're right. Like, his and Greg Kinnear's relationship and her and Greg Kinnear's relationship. So then the story of this is Greg Kinnear 
is an artist and he is uh, drawing this model that someone in an unexplained scene like picks up off the street and is like, he needs to draw you? Like, why? He, we- okay, so I caught it this time. I've always kind of like, I've never It's like quite- a third character. Greg Kinnear has these like people around him, including Lisa Simpson and Cuba Gooding Jr. Right. So this guy in the car is his, is some, is like a, agent or somebody who books models for him because he does a lot of portraiture work. He's on the phone and someone's trying to get him to come do something. And so instead of doing his due diligence and booking a legitimate model, he hires a sex worker who's friends with a sex worker. He's hired for his own purposes previously, which is all this is all comes. Mm, And it's like a a very very subtle conversation. Yes. So. He hires this sex worker. Skeet Ulrich. In a lovely Skeet Ulrich role. Yes. Um, and Jughead's dad. Who's dad? Oh, Jughead's dad. Yeah, sure, sure. But in this, he and his uh, friends beat the shit. Well, he doesn't. His friends beat the shit out of Greg Kinnear. Right. And he ends up in the hospital. And he ends up in the hospital severely injured um, and broke because he doesn't have health insurance and can't pay his bills. And Lisa Simpson has to tell him he's broke. She has a real name, but to me, she's Lisa Simpson. This movie's a real indictment on the U.S. healthcare system. Um, because Greg Kinnear is an artist, so he doesn't have any health insurance. So he's going to lose like his business, his apartment, everything when he gets assaulted. And Helen Hunt is a waitress. So presumably she doesn't have great health insurance. I think maybe she has like Medicaid or an HMO, she says. So she's got yeah, a sick kid. Yeah, she says HMO bastards to Harold Ramis at some point. Right. She's got a sick kid who can never get an appropriate diagnosis or appropriate treatment because she's bounced around and she doesn't She's have basically any, like, only seen ER docs. Only seen ER docs, right. So really this movie is, is an indictment on the U.S. healthcare. So Greg Kinnear is like, I'd pay for all of it. Not Greg Kinnear. Jack Nicholson Jack pays Nicholson. for it all. Right. Which like a very nice thing to do because he's a, a novelist. He's like, yes. a, a, like a novelist who lives alone and he falls in love with Greg Kinnear's dog. Right. Whose name is something ridiculous. Yeah. Also, Q- um, Oscar winner Cuba Gooding Jr. is there. Fresh Oscar winner. Reigning best supporting actor so wait, Cuba Gooding Jr. is this, there. This is and after the, Jerry Maguire? This is the next year. Oh, okay. So I don't know, like, production-wise, if he this movie was already made by the time he won an Oscar. But basically, like... When you win an Oscar or a major award, your profile is raised. Or when you are, even if he hadn't won the Oscar when they made this movie, when you are critically acclaimed in a movie, your profile is raised and you are no longer expected to play Greg Kinnear's friend who threatens to beat up Jack Nicholson, but it's okay because he's gay. So we're playing with the stereotype of the aggressive black man because he also is gay um, and an art dealer. So he doesn't like having to become aggressive black man. But that's as deep as we're getting into that character. We could talk about this movie without ever talking about Cuba Gooding Jr.'s character because he is inconsequential. <laughs> Except that he scares Jack Nicholson into being nice to Greg Kinnear. And he's very good. I mean, like... He's an excellent is, actor. Cuba Gooding Jr. is an excellent actor. He's, he's an Cuba Oscar Gooding winner. Jr. <laughs> he's an Oscar winner for a reason. He's an excellent actor. He does what he can with this role that is fairly inconsequential. He, he, he does a great deal with this role. I actually end up, you know, like liking him a lot, liking, you know, enjoying the character, but you're right. There's not but much to it. All of that is it. down to him and not that this movie is. And the other thing is like, 
There's no reason the all three leads. I mean, this is true of almost every rom com we watch. There's no reason all three leads have to be white. I love Greg Kinnear in this movie. I think Greg Kinnear is a phenomenal actor. You cannot name me a reason why that part could not have been played by Cuba Gooding Jr. and why we had to give him this like tertiary role so that our leads could be white people. Right. Well, and even the movie like. Like there's this scene at the beginning where Jack Nicholson is talking to Greg Kinnear and we so that we're establishing the relationship between the two of them and that they hate each other. And Jack Nicholson says something about the colored man that comes in and out of mm-hmm. um, Greg Kinnear's apartment. And like, fine, that's fine. But then Greg Kinnear like calls the Cuba Good calls Cuba Gooding Jr. over to like make a point to Jack Nicholson. And it's like and we're supposed to be impressed by Greg Kinnear in that moment. Like the movie is like Greg Kinnear's the good guy here. Yeah. Except that like you're calling your black friend into a situation where you know the other person is racist. So why wouldn't you just handle that without subjecting your friend your black to friend trauma. to that? Right. That's a good point. Um. So like, I, and again, it's 1997. We weren't as involved in our conversations I get that, but it was, but the movie just felt like it was at times like making a, trying to make a point without like making the right point. Right. And the, this movie is not, I think this movie is trying to make a point about racism and homophobia and anti-Semitism, but it's being made from a person who, as far as I, I mean, is not a black person. And as far as I know, is a heterosexual person, like the only lived experience they have of those things is being Jewish so it feels like this was a place where, like, I understand that we're trying to say something about this man's prejudice, but maybe we aren't digging deep enough into ourselves to be able to properly comment on that. Mm-hmm. And, like, and it's very sort of a 1997 thing where it's like racism and homophobia is bad, but we don't, it's not like exploring it in as deep or meaningful or honest way as we would be now. I mean, I could see why at the time it was enjoyed, like why people thought the performances are there fantastic. are aspects of this movie that are very good and worthy of acclaim, including the three performances. Yes. Greg Kinnear, like this is maybe the best I've ever seen Greg Kinnear. This is a moment where I think that it is fair to acknowledge that Cuba Gooding Jr. is a fantastically talented actor who broke down a lot of barriers for black actors, particularly black men. And he also has been accused of doing things that are incredibly troubling by a great deal of women. And I also do think like we should acknowledge that. um, And Cuba Gooding Jr.'s career was kind of like wonky even before these accusations came out. So like, who knows? I don't really know what was going on in his career previously, but I do think that, and this is like, we need like a long, there's several long form articles out there. Like you and I are not equipped to have this conversation, but I do think we should acknowledge that there seems to be far more accountability for Cuba Gooding Jr. as a black man than there are for the white man, men who have committed similar crimes. That's a very good point. Um, Because there are people out there who are still working and have done the same things. Or worse. And and they're white. Or worse. So, just saying. Okay. Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't hold Cuba Gooding Jr. accountable. But 
we have yes. two systems of justice in this country. That's all I'm saying. Two systems of accountability, because I don't know that he was ever charged, like, in a criminal justice kind of way. But two systems of accountability in this country. Right. Back to the problems at hand in the movie As Good As It Gets. Just looking right. at my notes, and I have in the same word, the F word that's a gay slur. An elephant girl. He calls a woman who is several sizes smaller than I am, elephant girl. He's just awful. It's making the point that he's a horrible person. But I now don't want to watch the shitty guy, like, go be a good guy. Like, I want the guy, Lisa Edelstein and the guy she was having breakfast with story. Like, I bet their romance is cute. Right. Yeah, because he just admitted they're friends. He just admitted he has feelings for her. But we don't get that story. We don't get that story. Also, Lisa, I mean, the the other thing that I like about this movie is because it was made in 97. We get cameos that aren't cameos. It's just people who are now famous. Like, at one point, Maya Rudolph is a background character. She does not have a line. She was fully an extra. I started making a list. Jamie Kennedy is one of the men that assaults Greg Kinnear. Maya Rudolph is a beat cop with no lines. Nope. Lisa Edelstein is... In the scene that you're talking about with a, with a guy whose name I don't know, but he's a character actor and he shows up. He's like that guy. He shows up in all kinds yeah. of shit. Um, I'm sure he's been on Law & Order. Ooh, I know what I know him from. He's the guy that dated Will with, who had the dog and Will liked the dog more. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's just he's a character actor who shows up in all kinds of stuff. Julie Benz from Dexter is the receptionist at um, oh, Jack yeah. Nicholson's like book agent's office. The guy from Remember the Titans um, is, is um, what do we call that? A busser. I haven't been to a restaurant in so long. I can't remember. He's a busser at the restaurant where Helen Hunt works. Missy Pyle is also a waitress at Helen Hunt's restaurant. Shane Black is the manager. at uh, Shane Black is now primarily a writer and director. He wrote and directed The Nice Guys and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And like those kind of like comedy action movies. I think that exhausts my list. Harold Ramis is not on the list of people who were not famous who showed up in this movie. He was famous at the time. But I think that's so that's like what? Ten people I just named who went. Oh, Skeet Ulrich, I would argue, was already like a working known actor at this time. Maybe not. But I think he probably was. That, I mean, that's one of the fun things of watching a movie from 1997 is you get to see all the people, like, spot the faint people who weren't famous but now are, or are, like, working actors. There's a, also a really lovely, so, like, the relationships in this movie I really love are, like, Helen Hunt and Greg Kinnear, who, like, they go on a road trip so he can go ask his parents for money and then he never ends up, his parents who have cut him off because he's gay um, and never, and because he used to draw his mother. And they go on this road trip and Helen Hunt goes with them. And uh, he ends up drawing her and, like, getting his artist inspiration back. Um, And they, like, form this lovely bond. Um, And that's a relationship that, like, develops really quickly, but in a way, I believe, and in a natural way. And then I also really love her relationship with her mother, who lives with her and helps take care of her son. Um, And she has a meltdown. She's trying to write Jack Nicholson a thank you note. And she has a meltdown about how to spell the word conscience. And at one point yells, conscience? That doesn't make any sense. And then like fully has a meltdown. It's like akin to the 
scene in Evie Drake Starts Over, which we will talk about in our mini-sode next week, where, like, she spills rice and, and, like, and just has a meltdown. Like, one little thing happens, and then you, like, fully have a meltdown. And I was like, I, too, have had meltdowns over the spelling of the word conscience, because it doesn't make any sense. And it has also been the thing, like, the final straw that set me off into. But anyway, that scene with her mother has been really lovely, because... Because she, this woman has been taking care of her child and focusing on her child so long that she has lost any ability to take care of herself, and now she has now she has a little bit more freedom. She has her child's health care is paid for, and she has a doctor who is going to treat him properly. And like now, what do you do? And at one point, her mother just and she says like, "What do you want from me, mom?" And her mom's like, "I want to go out. We're going out." And it's just yeah. a really lovely like. Like, that's the story I love is this woman who has given all of herself to her child and now has a little weight lifted off and, like, still can't see the forest through the trees is such an interesting story without then her having a weird romance with a mean man. (laughs) Yeah, like, I feel like the three and like the three main characters are interesting characters who are. And the relationships are all very interesting I just, I don't want the romance. Yeah. I think also, like, there's, first of all, I don't love Jack Nicholson as a romantic lead, particularly at this point in his life. I don't see it. I don't see it. Like, I just, I mean, there's been movies where he's played a romantic lead where I get it. Like, Terms of Endearment is sort of the classic Jack Nicholson romantic lead that I'm behind. But as... Jeff affectionately referred to him like late stage Jack Nicholson. I'm not sure I want him as a romantic lead. Now, granted, Something's Gotta Give is a movie that I love where he plays a romantic lead. But I think it helps that like, first of all, we're acknowledging his age in that movie. We're putting him opposite somebody who is his contemporary. Right. And the chemistry, arguably, and I haven't seen Something's Gotta Give in a while and I know we'll do it eventually, but from what I can remember, the chemistry between Jack Nicholson and Diane Keaton is far superior to the chemistry between Helton Hunt and Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I think that's, like, the issue with this is, A, it's sort of story-wise unnecessary. Like, I can let this be a comedy without the romantic aspect, as we've said. But also, like, if we're going to have that romantic aspect, make it believable. There's just no chemistry between them. Mm -hmm. And there's just a romantic chemistry. There's lovely, like, like, patron-waitress you know, there's friendship chemistry. They're both very good actors in that, I believe. But I don't believe they fall in love. It also doesn't, it just, it's not it earned. feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah, it's not it's, really earned. It's not an earned love story. No. I want her to, like, go off and find a really lovely man who will who will be really good to her because she's, or just, like, become best friends with, Greg Kinnear and have like a really lovely friendship where you take care of each other. Like, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need the romance. So like Jack Nicholson is working on his book in a couple of scenes in this movie. And at one point he finishes the book and the last exchange between the main characters and his romance novel are, she says, you saved my life. And he says, you better make it up to me. And I feel like that's the thesis of this movie and (laughs) gross. Yeah, like I don't need it. And well, and when he gives her the money for the kid, she says like she like goes to his house in the rain, which like girl get an umbrella. But also, 
she then says, like, I'm not going to sleep with you. So it's made very clear that, like, I think what they're trying to do is say, like, this is not, like, they're trying to get rid of the, like, weird power structure of him, like, giving you a lot of money so your kid can be taken care of and then falling in love with him. But there's still this weird, like, she feels indebted to him or she feels so grateful to him. Like, all she can do is fall in love with him. And it's like, no, someone can do something really lovely for you. Like, someone can be kind and take care of you without you then, like, falling in love with them. Like, there are plenty of men who have done good things for me and I'm grateful for, and I'm not in love with them. Like... She it's also just says, this, like, like weird debt that she has to him that makes the romance a little bit, like, weird. She also, like, at one point she says, near the end, she says, like, why can't I just have, like, a normal boyfriend who doesn't go crazy on me? Implying, like, she's dated people who have, like, gone crazy on her before, which, again, we haven't really flushed out. So, like, that was kind of like, what? where's that coming from? But then her mother says, everybody wants that deer. It doesn't exist. Okay. Let's be clear. Everybody over a certain age, like over the age of 22, has baggage and has their shit. But that doesn't mean everybody's an asshole. Right. And also, like, you find someone who is who is accountable to their baggage and who recognizes (laughs) their baggage and who who works through it so that they like you don't have to be in a relationship with a mentally unhealthy person if they're not willing to work on themselves like. Well, or if, like, that – I mean, again, I think, like, I want us to be very careful that we are separating, like, his mental illness from the fact that he is not a nice person. Right. Like, those two I'm things I'm mentally are, ill. I work very hard to not be a bigot. Like, right. Those are two mutually exclusive things. And there, and that's not to say that, like, when you're struggling, you, you – like, it is certainly – happens that like when you are struggling with your own shit like you project crap onto other people but you're right like you there is a responsibility to like make amends for that have some accountability for that not be toxic and then like the person you're in love with then just has to like deal with your toxicity because because like because that's what? your baggage. Like you just, well, and also, like, right. I am a mental, I am a person who has struggled with mental illness for most of my life. It's never made me a bigot. It's never made me racist or homophobic or any of those things. Like, I am sure that I have, in the worst parts of my mental, of, like, anxiety and depression, done, treated the people in my life poorly as a result of those mental illnesses. I A, you're right. You then, like, get help and take accountability for the way you treat people when you are sick. And B, I have, I, I am not a racist. Like I am not, I, any bigotry that stems from that is not excusable. Like, right. It's just, it, it's like tying these two things up in a really complex and icky way. And also then yeah. like putting it on her to just be like, well, I love him. So this is, this is what I, this is what I now must this is the cross I bear. Like, girl, no. Right. Another rom-com that could be solved if the people in it just got good therapy, good, consistent therapy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all, like, had our bad moments where we have hurt the people around us. But that doesn't mean that we're then bigoted. <laughs> like, those right. are two very separate things. And it's like, it's like, it's like you can hurt the people around you as a result of your mental illness. You then need to 
be accountable to that. You don't get to be like, well, I was sick. You don't get to, you know, your excuse does not negate the accountability you owe. You can use it as an explainer while still saying, but it's my fault. But also, like, bigotry and mental illness are not two things that go hand in hand. No. Like, you can be, I'm sure a lot of people who are bigots are also mentally ill, but that doesn't mean that everyone who's mentally ill is a bigot or vice versa. Like, I don't know. It just. It's just, it's. It's just messy. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like, I'm just kind of over this, like, white man, like, horrible, toxic white man redemption arc. Like, I don't need it. Yeah. Don't want it. Don't need it. Maybe in 97 we were more open to it. But, like, it's just not what I'm looking for now. I don't. And I love stories about, like, messy people who either are or are not like trying to figure their shit out like I that is my I love that kind of story yeah and like so the pieces of this movie that are that I'm 100% here for but that all becomes secondary to Jack Nicholson's character and to the romance right agreed yeah do you want to play my game yeah okay I do want to say, okay, so at one point they go they go to Baltimore. The three leads go on a road trip to Baltimore to get Greg Kinnear, money from Greg Kinnear's parents. And Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson go out to a seafood restaurant where there's dancing. And I literally want nothing more in this. <gasps> she was drinking a martini at a bar and talking to a handsome man. And I was like, I want to drink a and martini then- at a bar and talk to a handsome man in a pretty polka dot dress that he refers to as a house coat. <laughs> Well, but and then they're going to eat fresh seafood and dance. I just I also I want it so badly. The part of Jack Nicholson's character I most identified with was when he's constantly asking people if they have soft shell crab. And she's like, they have it. Stop asking. And I was like, that's me in like Baltimore. I'd be like, I I would be like obsessive about the soft shell crab. (laughs) That's a part of his mental illness. And I'm like, I'm with you, man. Just lean into that. Get away from the racism and the homophobia and lean in to the soft shell crab. All right, let's play your game. All right. This movie was nominated for seven Oscars. It won won two. Can you name the two at one? They're major. I will give you this. They are major awards. So I'm not fucking you up with like sound mixing here. Like, (laughs) I think Helen Hunt and Greg Kinnear won. Wrong. Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson won. Really? Yes. I thought Jack Nicholson won for... I mean, he's probably won several, yeah, I think but Jack I think he's won several Academy Awards. Okay, I don't. I don't think I realized he won for this, but okay. Do uh, I'm not going to give you multiple choice because it will give it away. But if you can think about the year '97, you can get this. Who did Greg Greg Kinnear was one of the nominees? Who did he lose to? For he was the nominee for Best Supporting Actor. Correct. And it's 1997. Correct. Did he lose to Tom Cruise for Boogie Nights? No. Not nominated. Can you give me the other movies that were, like, big this year? No. It'll give it away. Because I did this for mom and dad. They're like, I can't do it without multiple choice. And they got it within a hot second with multiple choice. Guess. And if you don't get it, I'll give you clues. Is this is this Titanic year? Yes. But nobody was nominated for supporting, for tit- male supporting, were they? Correct. There are two other major movies this year. Titanic. And one that you and I... Love and still watch to this day, although it is not a rom-com. And the supporting actor win? 
is by one of our favorite people. The other, here's, here's the other clue, and this oh. is how you're going to get it. Oh, it's Robin Williams for Correct. Goodwill Hunting. Correct. All right, now the other two things this was nominated oh, for that's and lost tough. two are going to be clear. Wait, okay, wait, real quick, I just want to, I want to be real clear. Greg Kinnear was fantastic in this movie. Again, I think this is the best I've ever seen him. Ron, Robin Williams deserved that Oscar. Yeah. Okay, great. Good talk. Okay, so who did, this movie was also nominated for Best Picture. Who did it lose to? Titanic. And this movie was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Who did it lose to? Titanic. No. Carrie! Oh, Boogie Nights. <laughs> Carrie! No! no! Oh, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Right, right, right. Sure, sure, Correct. Sure. It was Boogie, Paul Thomas Anderson, Woody Allen, Simon Beaufoy, and uh, Damon and Affleck were the other nominees for Best Original Screenplay and Damon and Affleck. What Woody Allen movie came out in 90s? Deconstructing? Don't know it. We'll never watch it. All right. You did okay. You you didn't do great, particularly after you knew that this was the year of Goodwill Hunting, and then couldn't get that happened. Matt Damon and Ben right. Affleck, who like famously won that Oscar. Okay, so wait, this is a year when. So let's okay. So the best picture nominees were this: Titanic, The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, and L.A. Confidential. Fast. That is a that is a stacked group of best picture nominees. Yeah, I'm watching Goodwill Hunting tonight. I was gonna say like. So I think part of the issue with the Oscars, and we are not the first people to say this, this is like an ongoing conversation, is like these movies get nominated that like people see because they're nominated for Oscars and then they never see them again. But I would argue that Goodwill Hunting, Titanic, and LA Confidential are all movies that people rewatch to this Monty. day. Don't people watch Oh, you're the right. Full Monty? And Full Monty. You're right. Yeah, because it's a comedy. Like it's a feel good comedy. Those are all movies that people rewatch to this day. Um, okay, wait. So let's wait. Let me recap. In 1997, the major awards. I still have one so, more. I have a bonus question oh, in my quiz. Okay, sorry. Can you sorry. name so? Can you name the other two awards this was nominated for? So it was nominated for three acting awards: writing, directing, best picture, and a and a seventh. Wait, no. Three acting awards, best picture. It was not nominated for directing. Oh. Three acting awards: best original screenplay and best picture. You know, the so classic thing where it gets nominated for Best Picture, but the director who made the picture doesn't get nominated. The Oscars make no sense. Okay. So there's two additional awards there's that it was nominated. Two additional. And I will say these are obviously not major. So these are like, you got to dig in. It's not sound mixing know. or sound editing. Is it editing? Because it shouldn't be. This movie's far too fucking long. It is editing. Woof. I mean, otherwise, like, it's a well-edited f- movie, but... It's too long. This is too long a movie. I don't know that we blame that on the editors. We blame that on the director. Sure. Editors can't be like, we're cutting all this out without the director agreeing. Okay, fair. Um, then fine. Their work was otherwise fine. And <laughs> You didn't notice them, and that's what you want out of a good editor. Right. You're right. Um, what, and then another, like, kind of artistic-y yeah. one. I don't, I don't Score. know. Okay, I'll give it that. I'll give Best it that. original this, score. This movie had a, like, very 90s score feel yeah. that I liked quite a bit. All right. I don't have anything else to say about it as good as it gets. It did not hold up for me. Nope. I probably will never watch it again. It's not, like, no. quite as bad as uh, 16 Candles or What Women Want, but oh, poor Helen Hunt and these, <laughs> these rom-coms she's in. <laughs> no, I mean, they're, like, I under, again, like, I understand 
the acclaim that this movie received, it it has a very like 90s damaged people dialogue kind of movie and yeah, and like I do those. Think, like this should be our bread and butter. And I like I do like the performances qu- a quite a bit, but I otherwise just it's not a movie I'm going to watch again. Uh next week join us we'll be finishing out our Evie Drake starts over book club. Um, and we'll be talking about summer to opening day. Um, and then the week after that, we will be talking about a movie that certainly did not receive as much acclaim as this, but I'll probably watch more often. Something new. Oh, so what are your predictions for something new? So I saw this movie in theaters circa 2006 with Christina Kelly at Chicago Ridge Mall. So it holds a special place in my teenage heart. I was 17 when this movie came out. I have not seen it in many years, but I remember really enjoying it. And so I think it and that and I think that because it's specifically about like race relations and an interracial relationship, I think it will be more progressive than most mid aughts movies. So I think it's going to hold up both in that I will enjoy it and uh, from a progressive standpoint. Yeah, I have not seen this movie in a really long time. I when I I remember loving this movie. I've seen it a couple of times. I've like rewatched it because I I really I really enjoy Sanaa Lathan and both the men, both her like love interests in this movie are beautiful men. So I think that I will really enjoy watching this movie. I don't remember. I don't remember anything inherently problematic. Yeah. And I agree with you. I mean, it's it's directed by a black woman, which I feel like means it's probably in good hands. So, yeah, I'm I'm far more interested and looking forward to watching something new than I was as good as it gets. Yeah, I so. think it's going to be more fun. You know what I also bet? I bet it's a, a cool 90 minutes. I bet it clocks in yeah. at the right amount of time. I bet it's not almost three goddamn hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So join us. Um, join us next week for our last um, installment of Evie Drake Starts Over Book Club. And join us in two weeks for something new. Where can people find us, Allison? You can find us on Instagram at hold underscore up underscore pod and you can find us on twitter at hold underscore up underscore podcast where and you can find us um in the uh review section on apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a nice little review that we'll read and then we'll feel good about ourselves and that would be nice also i'll say this because we did our top 10 rom-coms list last week i've gotten some people who have sent me their own top 10 rom-com list nothing makes me happier keep that coming what like yeah yeah love it um putting them they're in our stories and our highlights on instagram but it is fun and thank you if you have done that it truly made my day some wild choices being made but i am here for it (laughs) we don't judge this is a safe space when it comes to your when it comes to your rom-com choices so send us your lists um yeah thank you bye bye